everybody. Welcome back to another episode of The Fearcast. <clears throat> this is the podcast dedicated to OCD, anxiety, anxiety spectrum disorders, and getting your life back. I'm your host, Kevin Foss. I'm a licensed therapist specializing in OCD and anxiety. And thank you all so much for joining me for today. So, for those of you who are new, this is a question and answer based podcast. If you have a question for the podcast, go over to fearcastpodcast.com, go click on the uh, submit a question link, follow the directions, send me a question. I will read it, consider it, and likely put it up on a future episode. Audio questions are going to get pushed to the top. I haven't got an audio question in a while, so we're going back into the archives and back into um, some of the other questions, the text questions I've gotten. So if you would like your question, bump to the top, send me an audio question. Um, the best way to do that is go over to Instagram. I'm Fearcast Podcast over there. Send me a DM um, and record your uh, record your question there. I have some directions there, but um, as you send me the DM, just click on the little microphone button in the text box and record yourself and I will get it, and I will put it up on a future episode. So um, we keep going into winter. Well, okay, we here in the States, in the Northern Hemisphere, going into winter. It it kind of blows my mind when I talk to folks in the Southern Hemisphere, and they're like, yeah, man, I'm, it, we're just, you know, I just got out, of, just got out, and we're going to a summer break. I'm like, oh my gosh, summer break, that doesn't make any sense. Um, but it does. But my silly Northern Hemisphere brain doesn't get it. Anyways. Um, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to start today by just talking about, uh, or by, um, following up from last week's episode. Um, so I spoke to Grace, well, I spoke to, I exchanged some emails with her, uh, a little bit about, uh, what was, uh, about what was going on. And she gave me a little bit of more information. So I wanted to just give you a little bit of follow-up before I get into, uh, today's, uh, question that's going to focus, uh, on, uh, uh, COVID of all things. So, um, I'm answering a little bit of an, an older question. Um, uh, but it is still very relevant to a lot of people today. So in some things to consider, um, but it, I think there's some principles in there that I think that we we can all be aware of um, on, on a lot of different angles. So, um, so to follow up from Grace, so if you remember, if you, so if you haven't listened to last week's episode, episode, uh, go check it out. Uh, talking a little bit about somebody who is struggling with um, with kind of uh, religious scrupulosity and kind of struggles with the idea of like how to start engaging with treatment effectively because it feels like as they move into doing quote, doing therapy kind of tr traditionally or classically uh, with a uh, CBT ERP uh, uh, frame or, or, or um, methodology, uh, it increases their um, suicidal ideation. So it increases their self-harm thoughts. And they're going, well, I don't want one, but I want the other, but unfortunately they come together. They say, I don't want to have these self-harm thoughts, but unfortunately they show up. So we, we, I, I gave some, some different ideas on, on what they can uh, do. And um, they they got back to me and said, you know, one of the things that they are doing is actually writing down some of their uh, uh, some of their thoughts, right? Uh, writing them down, and then later on, uh, bringing them to one of their mentors uh, uh, to talk uh, to talk about uh, and to get some reassurance. Now, the problem was is that as they give, as they write these down and quote get their reassurance. Now, I again, I I don't know the quality or the meaning or the depth of this reassurance, um, but, but I'll we we can treat it as. Well, I'll talk about both both options or a couple options here, but they'll they'll say, you know, I I, I don't want to 
get this reassurance. Reassurance doesn't seem necessary for someone who has, uh, who's trying to overcome uh, religious OCD. So she adds some more detail to her uh, comments, and she says something to the effect of uh, that, that, you know, over time, she has lost trust in herself and lost trust in her ability to distinguish between kind of right and wrong, right? She just leaves it, leaves it at that. But then finding that, that other people are refusing to help in their process. Um, and that feeling of, you know, they can't trust themselves. It seems that other people aren't really there for her. And I think there's the mix of like other people may have stopped ask, offering reassurance because they've been burnt out or they've, they've stopped giving reassurance because, you know, a therapist has told them to stop reassuring them. It leads to a sense of hopelessness and that's where, and that's when the suicidal ideation starts. So it's kind of this this weird combination. Um, I'll just read a little bit uh, from her email as well. She says, "Personally, I feel that the conversation around religious OCD and reassurance needs to be more nuanced." And I'm not sure the current um, prescription slash method uh, of, of simply taking away reassurance is the best approach. And say so I might be wrong, um, but I ha- uh, but I hope that more research and understanding of religious OCD and the idea that no reassurance for any Anyone suffering from religious OCD um, is, uh, or the, that idea is questioned a bit. Um, she kind of references the idea that you know it's not a one size fits all treatment method. And to this, I 100% agree, Grace. And for anybody else else that's out there, what we're ultimately trying to do with treatment is to find a more functional way to live. Now there are going to be a lot of different approaches to this and different ideas of what it means to have a success uh, or have a successful treatment for OCD and a successful outcome that that means you have, quote, recovered from it. So it's going to vary from person to person. Now, there's there are going to be some people on the hard end um, that they're going to talk about it like, you know, OCD is cancer. I've literally heard it said. It's like cancer. You don't go into surgery for cancer and you say, well, we only got out 80% of the cancer, and that's fine. They're saying we want to go in for surgery to get 100% of the cancer. Now, the reality is sometimes we can't get to 100%. And there might be situations that it might not be called for, it might not be necessary, or it might not be compassionate to take that perspective. And as Grace is talking about, it's not a one-size-fits-all. So I think I offered a little bit of this um, guidance in that episode, but I'll, I'll, I'll reframe it here, is that let's say for this person that, um, oh, she also says that that, that, that that reassurance that she's getting has gotten extended out and out and out to be several months between the times that they're getting, quote, reassurance. Now, let's say that they went from asking reassurance to a, a, a pastor, a priest, a, a, an imam, a rabbi, whatever, um, in the pa- for um, uh, they, they cut it down from asking reassurance daily to once every three months. I would say that's pretty stinking good, and that that leaves a lot of time. That, that's them asking for reassurance quarterly. That's great. If you could just do one compulsion every three months, gosh darn it, I would say that's pretty successful. And it's functional. Is it 100% gone? No. Are they living maybe at times kind of white knuckling? Maybe. But 
if, let's say, the bulk of their compulsions exist every three months and they're writing them down and then going and meeting with someone to have this conversation, and that's what their life looked like forever. Not saying, you know, we're going to reduce that to, uh, you know, uh, every six months and then, you know, once a year, et cetera, et cetera. Let's say it's every three months. That sounds pretty functional for that person. And is that acceptable? Now, that question is something to answer between the individual struggling with the OCD and the therapist. But ultimately, the answer lies with the individual struggling with it and whether or not they're saying, this works for me. It may not be my favorite. It may not be my ideal. But pushing harder into it doesn't produce results as I'd like them to. But this is functional for now. So we can say that's going to work. And, 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 I, and maybe there's going to be some criticism or some people um, saying that that's a bad idea or bad approach. But is that going to be something that's going to get this person on board to say, you know what, I'm willing to work with this and reduce my compulsions. Now, to that end, though, with those, with those two parts of reassurance, right? Sometimes we have doubt because we just genuinely don't know the answer, right? We've talked about genuine doubt versus obsessive doubt. Genuine doubt means you just don't have the answer to something. And I'll tell you, when it comes to faith, there's a lot of things that we might not have the answers to. I don't know the answers to most things. I look them up. And I would expect that someone else out there might have to look them up or might have to get some guidance from a, a religious authority who knows more. That would be reasonable. Now, obsessive doubt is when you start questioning the answers you've gotten, right? So you've looked it up, you've asked the question, they said, here's the answer. And then the brain goes, yeah, but are you sure? How do I know that that's the right answer? How do I know that they know? Maybe they misunderstood me. Maybe they're just wrong. Maybe that they are an apostate. Maybe that they uh, just don't um, see things the same way. Maybe I have a special guidance or a special dictate from God or mandate from God. That's where the obsessive doubts comes in, making you question what you've heard from an authority. So, we start to then go back into it. Now, notice that once you start this line of questioning and doubt, it can never end. Because let's say you, you doubted uh, Pastor A. All right? Maybe Pastor, maybe Pastor A did get it wrong. There's a lot of you know, funky ways to think about things, right? So we go to Pastor B. Hey, Pastor B, here's the situation. Here's my thought. Pastor B gives the answer. Maybe it's the same as Pastor A. Maybe it's slightly different. Maybe it's completely different. Either way. Then they go, all right, that's my answer. But then remember, they start, they've started getting into a pattern of, I don't think I can trust this person. I don't think I can trust myself, but I also don't think I can trust this person. So now, who can I trust? So I'm not going to trust them, so let me go to the next person and the next person. And that's where obsessive doubt keeps the cycle going. At some point, we have to take an answer and we round up to acceptable. Even when we have doubts and questions, we say, all right, Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm right. But I'm going to do this. Right? So that's where some of that doubt can can be addressed and that's where oh but, but to that end be, being cautious about whether or not you're getting you're getting an answer because well you've just never asked that question or it's a it's a caveat or a facet of something that you haven't considered before. Ask a question, get your answer, round up, put it into action. 
resist then going in and constantly doubting or questioning or judging or critiquing or scrutinizing that answer and, can, and saying, no, that answer is insufficient. I need to keep going down the rabbit hole, right? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back off on that because there's a whole other question to get to. So the question, from, the question for today, I'm, I'm going to truncate this because the, the, the question itself is very, very long um, because it has a lot of, a lot of background that I'm going to try to summarize as best as I possibly can, though it is going to be insufficient. So uh, this question comes from KJ. Um, so KJ's question, so they say, uh, they say, aloha, Kevin. Uh, I, uh, I apologize for being, uh, uh, for being as wordy as your, wait, I apologize for being as wordy as your wonderful podcast. I, I guess I'm, I guess I'm wordy. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, uh, so I'd first sum up my question like this. What's the dividing line or intersection between COVID OCD, COVID safety, and groupthink? So here's their, their, their background is this, is that they left um, this family, uh, left where they, uh, where, where they live and grew, grew up and moved to their, to live with their, uh, this, uh, KJ's in-laws. All right. KJ's in-laws uh, are, are, are scientists, very well aware of things, but not, but maybe it's and, and they are, uh, they work with COVID or, and, and perceive themselves to be authorities around COVID. Now, because of that, they ha- or because of that, or in spite of that, they have a a very high um, freakout level. I'll just call it a freakout level about COVID. Lots of concern, and one might say an excessive concern. And they give several different examples, and I'm not going to share all of them, um, but. Excessive concern around COVID um, and COVID safety and what they're willing to do and what they are wanting to do. They say everybody is vaccinated, um, everybody but a, a, a two-year-old, and that's understandable uh, given the the, the uh, guidelines around that. But everybody is vaccinated and boosted and all that stuff, but they still have all of these limitations that are um, that are seemingly exceedingly limit limiting to KJ and their family. So they talk about how they give some examples about how they've you know they've wanted to go go to a certain place but family just goes mm, that's unsafe. They want to do certain things and they go no we're not going to do that. If the family goes to a certain place uh, and come back without following the perceived groups um, requirements, they quarantine the family, make them take tests, all this stuff. Now. The question then is, or they, they, they go on to then say, my wife and I are so overwhelmed. Um, uh, what semi-successful life did we give up only to find ourselves in a place of our groupthink COVID OCD family requiring us to comply with their, dis- with their disorder and to give them reassurance at all times uh, in their unreasonable quest for certainty? Where do we go from here? The other extended family we have uh, lives someplace else and is mostly not vaccinated, uh, and, and they don't see COVID as a big deal. So, um, all right, I'll, 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 I'll cut it off from there. So, what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing in this, and I, I, I still see this. While this question did come, um, you know, while COVID was a was a greater concern. I think there are still folks out there who do get very anxious around COVID, do get anxious around illness or the way that people are doing things. Now, this could, let's take COVID out of the question. Let's say you're living, you're living with a family 
You're living with your family, and they aren't as clean as you want them to be, or they are excessively clean. They, as a family, are uh, germaphobes. And sometimes this happens in family dynamics is that they get to a, you know, every family has their own things, their own systems, their own policies and procedures around things. Maybe they are excessive with what it is that they're doing. And it's not jiving or doesn't, it is it's inconsistent with what you are doing or find reasonable. I tend to think the answer to this, if there could be a singular answer, that's silly of me to say, but but an answer to this is ultimately to, it lies in the idea of personal agency uh, and willingness, uh, I suppose, in, in, in values as well. So I've shared this before, is that if someone comes to my office and says, Kevin, I'm washing my hands a hundred times a day. My hands are cracked and bleeding. Um, I can't. Um, I can barely pick things up because my hands are are um, are so much. Uh, you know, they, they hurt so much um, that that I, I it it it, uh, it stops me from from doing that. But I love it. I love it. It works for me. The person I live with, they uh, they love picking things up for me, even though my hands hurt. Um, it, it, it's wonderful. It's wonderful for everybody. What do you think I should do, Kevin? I'm going to say, go live your dream. Go do it. It may not be the life that I want to be living, but it's the life that perhaps they want to be living. Now, obviously, that's a story that we don't really hear about because it seems unlikely, right? However, people do all sorts of things and find something of value in all sorts of things that you and I might disagree with or not want for our own life. It's tough to try to convince someone to do something or to change something or to not do something um, that they are not willing or wanting to get on board with, right? Now, to that person who comes to my office and says that uh, they wash their hands a hundred times a day and they love it, if they love it, there's nothing to change. They're already living their dream. But if they come to my office and say, you know what, this isn't working for me, I need to do something different, I'm going to say, great. Something different is something we can find. But to say there's a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do is going to be a little, is going to be a moral decision that ultimately they are going to have to decide that's going to work for them. So, how far in how far away from washing their hands a hundred times a day are they willing to go? Now, my big push is going to be how far how far are they willing to go to get them back to a state of greater functioning? So be able to live a life that is full of joy and fun and uh, progress and success and relationship, right? All that stuff. That's that's what I want to help them to get to. But how far are they willing to go? Now, they might say, I'm only willing to go to 50 times a day. And 50 times a day, they're going to say, sounds fine. Okay. It's not my uh, ideal for them, perhaps. But again, as a therapist, my goals are your goals for the most part, right? So, we're going to work towards that. How do we reduce from 100 to 50? 
and we're going to get to 50. And then I'm going to say, how are you feeling? Do you want to keep going? And they're, and they're going to give me their answer. But again, it's based on their moral choice, right? My, my hand washing is going to be uh, very specific. I probably don't wash my hands as often as I should. I generally speaking, follow the guideline that I would give anybody else. It's wash your hands before you eat after you go to the bathroom, or if there's any noticeable schmutz on your hands. Now, I've been washing my hands like crazy in the past couple or the past couple of days. I'd say a week. Um, we had some sort of stomach bug that went through my family, and we were we were hurling, throwing up like crazy um, for the past uh, for the past week. And everybody got it, and then I got it on the last day. Uh, I was the last person to get it, and it was, I will say, unpleasant. So we've been sanitizing and cleaning and washing our hands, but because we have reason, because there is a virus that is floating around the Foss house, um, hopefully we have abolished said thing, primarily by throwing it up um, repetitively. Um, anyways, I can go more into that, and my metaphobia friends out there are going to be displeased. But either way, so I've been washing my hands. My hands kind of hurt. I don't really love it. How did I get on this subject? Anyways, that's my policy, right? I'm going to wash my hands before I eat, after I go to the bathroom, or if there's a noticeable schmutz, and I guess I'll add, or if there's noticeable and, uh, and observable disease around, right? But everyone's willingness is going to be different, right? Let's remember everybody back in the COVID days of, of what you and your... your um, uh, 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 quarantine did is <laughs> a term that no one said in a long time. Um, what you and your your pod, your family, your group did during that time, it was probably different from your neighbor, probably different from your friend. Were you wiping down your groceries? Were you avoiding everybody? Did you not go anywhere? Did you only do DoorDash? Right? Did you did was there that one um, specified person that has to go out and do all the do all the shopping, and everybody else has to not go anywhere? Right? Everyone did something different. Or, or were you one of those folks who were like, COVID's not a big deal, it's just a bad flu. Everyone go out, live life like normal. We're making a moral choice based on something that, that everyone else is experiencing or that, that we are experiencing. So what, uh, what does that mean for KJ and, and his family? Well, one thing that I would say is, I mean, I mean if, if I'm giving advice in this, I would say, move out. Move out. They are living under different rules than you and your family are wanting to. Now, that's not really feasible for everybody just to simply move out. But within a family system, we, it, let's, let's bring it down to an individual. You and I are only, it's going to say required to do, but we're not really required to do. You and I only have to do what is it that we're willing to do. So we can, so if, if the family system, if someone out there is putting on us a requirement to wash in a certain way, well, we can go along with it if we so choose to, or we can choose not to if we don't want to, right? Okay, so for KJ, they get to choose. Are they going to go along with this family's requirements, or are they going to not, and that's going to be a choice that they have to make and they have to discuss. I actually think this, this question is kind of an interesting perspective because we, all, we, we sometimes hear, well, I, I think this is almost like it's, it, it's accommodation but heard from the other perspective, right? 
it's that you know within accommodation sometimes within a family member or family the the quote the one person who has OCD is requiring everybody else to wash their hands in a certain way um, and uh, and, and some of the family will accommodate with that. Now, as I'm working with a family, we're going to say, you know what, we, the, the family, the rest of the family has decided that we get to control what we are going to do, where it can't force you to not wash your hands, but we get to choose what we're going to do. And we are choosing to pull back slowly on our accommodations for your OCD or for the OCD that is affecting this family. So that's what we're going to choose to do. That's our agency as family members to not be held hostage to OCD and to OCD's demands on us, hope, hoping to either to either kind of snuff out OCD or kind of say, you know, it, it's it, it, the the individual who's struggling with it is then made, uh, faces a choice: are they going to continue with their with their compulsive patterns, or are they going to make some choices? Maybe make some different choices. Maybe you make some ones that that are going to lead to hopefully greater functioning. Um, maybe that looks like exposures. Maybe it looks like therapy. Maybe it looks like th exposures in therapy. Whatever it might be. Okay. But KJ, you and your family have agency over what you do. Now, as you change your uh, your accommodation for the dynamic, it is going to throw things into a tizzy. They are going to be displeased with what you're doing. But it can be done in a compassionate way. It can be done as a way of, of communicating and, and discussing, discussing, kind of letting them know what it is that you are going, you and your family are going to do. Maybe it means your, you and your family are going to agree to, you know, maybe live on one side of the house because that's your choice. But you're not wanting to follow through on all their health and safety requirements, their excessive requirements, in order for you guys to go live your life. So laying out there, what is it that you're seeing? What is it that you're wanting to not do? What is it that you're willing to do? And then slowly starting to implement that. And maybe that might mean giving fewer reassurances to the family about, um, about, uh, about COVID, maybe less information about what you guys did during the day and saying, hey, you're just going to have to trust us that we are being safe, cautious, mindful, and um, a and if we encounter COVID or have a reasonable exposure, we'll bring it up to the family. Now, again, in that, I am re I am reflecting my own values and and moral decision based on what I did with our family. Is that you know if if we encountered it, we will bring it up. And even as things progressed past the you know the throes of COVID, that that policy for us still is there. We're going to go live our life. However, if we reasonably encounter some, someone who has COVID, well, we're going to bring it up if we then, quote, expose other people or that are around other people so that we don't have the, you know, we don't have to, we don't wear masks all the time. We don't wash our hands excessively. We don't wipe down our, our, our uh, groceries any longer. But that idea goes back to think about for you and your family, KJ, what is it that you're willing and wanting to do? And I think that this policy, again, applies to anyone out there who's struggling with a family member who's in the middle of their obsession with whatever that obsession is. And you're tired of giving reassurances, tired of accommodating for, for their obsession and their anxiety, and you're not wanting to participate in it any longer. 
What is it that you're willing to do and what is it that you're no longer willing to do? Starting with a conversation with them and just, and just to have, have that discussion. I'm, I'm tired of this. I care about you. I want the best for this family, this group, these people, myself included. However, I see what you're asking me to do and it's above and beyond what I'm willing to do. So there's going to be some changes that are going to be made. And we're going to decide which changes are going to be made and then slowly start to pull back on it. And ultimately, this is a discussion of anything that I would do with a family member. I think I've already mentioned that. This is a, a anti-accommodation in a, uh, in a, in a, family, um, uh, a family session for an, or with an individual who has OCD. Because KJ, your family who is deep involved in the COVID mindset, it's not something that you are going to be able to convince them out of, right? Think about someone who, think about your obsession. So if someone else that's out there, and by the way, KJ does mention that they have, uh, they've struggled with OCD, hence why they found the podcast and they've worked on their own thing. However, they found that their obsession is very, is, is very different than their family's obsession, quote, obsession on COVID and COVID safety. So getting back to it, think about your obsession. Is anybody else out there going to be able to convince you, convince you out of the belief? I mean, they might be able to say uh, some things that you've probably said to yourself. But remember, that feeling and that, fe- that fear pulls you back in. I'm willing to bet for this family, I mean, again, depending on what science and scientists and outlets they're following, this family might say, you know, we are vaccinated. And uh, side note, when people say, f- when people kept yelling, follow the science, hey, folks, if you got vaccinated, also follow the science and maybe trust that vaccination that you fought so hard to get. Anyways, so that fear is very convincing. That fear is convincing this family, that fear for you, for someone else out there who has an obsession, <clears throat> that fear is very convincing. And it overrides sometimes your logic and your reason and the, and the quote and the facts, right? So we can have compassion and to say, you know what, I'm not going to try to convince this person anymore because convincing them doesn't really work. Instead, I can control me, so I will. And that's a discussion that you and your wife and your kids need to have about what you are all going to do not against your family. You love your family. Not against them, but against the anxiety that is, that is, is running through their, their life. My encouragement as well would be to say, you know, we're going to slowly pull back on some of these accommodations and maybe going and living your life maskless by yourselves. Or going and doing that and then coming back if you feel like you need to accommodate by wearing a mask at the house to accommodate for them, Sure. If that's something that you're willing to do, or if you're willing to, or if you're then wanting to start pulling back on that or other things. So um, I think there are a lot of things that I could potentially talk about in terms of how other people are um, kind of uh, getting back into their life post COVID. I know, it, I mean, it, it, it may feel odd for me to be talking about COVID, but I know there are a lot of people out there who are still concerned about COVID. And sure, I get it. Nobody wants to get it. And, you know, it's uncomfortable to then go from the past couple of years where we've, you know, been doing certain things certain ways and then and feeling safe and feeling 
confident that we're doing the right thing to then getting back into a life um, that feels exposed and feels vulnerable to getting an illness. So, um, so there's a lot of change that needs to happen, and perhaps I can touch base on that uh, during the next uh, during another episode. But uh, I'll just leave it there for the time being. I've yammered on quite enough. So thank you, everybody for making it through uh, this episode. I hope it makes sense and I hope it kind of gives some folks who are maybe struggling with a family member or a family system that is um, in the middle of their own obsessions um, something to think about and a conversation to have. These conversations can be really well done if they are done uh, with a therapist or with someone who can kind of hear everybody's side and to kind of offer a way not to take sides or to say what's right and what's wrong but as a way of trying to trying to guide the family towards a cohesive direction that is going to work for everybody and that cohesive that direction might be for now one family is going to live in this house and the other family is going to move out because it's incompatible for right now though finding a way to still see each other from time to time i don't know whatever it is but they're going to they're going to work through a system that's going to work for everybody as best they can so more things to think about um and um Again, I'll leave it there. If um, Please remember, everybody, that the FearCast is not a substitute for psychotherapy. If you need a little bit of help in your recovery, go over to fearcastpodcast.com. Click on the Find Help link, and there's going to be some information for you there. So until next time, everybody, take a risk, challenge yourself, and don't take your brain too seriously. Bye.